You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. Amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to grab it and flip open to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Uh, if we've never met before, just want to say, hey, my name is Lyle, one of the pastors here. If you're online with us, uh, welcome. Uh, so I want to encourage you before we jump into our text, uh, if you are new or if you've been coming with us for the last few months, uh, we have a what we call pastor's lunch. Uh, it's going to happen here in a couple weeks on February 21st. Just an opportunity for you to sit down and, and have lunch with one of our pastors and help answer any questions that you may have about our church. And so I uh, promise it'll be safe. Uh, it's uh, Nobody's touching your food. It's just in a box and you pick it up yourself and you'll touch your own food. Uh, so, But you can go to that link there and register uh, for that. Or if you show up on the 21st and you forgot to register, I'm sure we'll have plenty of food. All right? It's cool. So let's stand together in honor of reading God's Word. Today we're going to be working, uh, we're going to just read chapter 24, starting in verse 36 to the end of that chapter, but we're looking at uh, all the way to 25, uh, chapter 25, verse 30. So we're looking at a pretty large chunk of text here. And and the main reason why is because all of this is all in the same context. This is what Jesus is talking about here. And so... Uh, but I just want to read uh, just uh, several verses here to end out chapter 24, which will kind of launch us in uh, to what we're talking about this morning. So hear the word of the Lord. Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, there were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in a field, one will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a handmill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the owner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready because the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household to give him food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master is delayed and starts to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. That servant's master will come on a day that he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. Let's pray together. Father, we just do ask that you would speak to us, Lord. Help us to see what you have to say and help us to apply what you're saying here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I think my water, Davin, is right. It's underneath my coat there. You see the little white cup? Not that one, the white cup. White cup, white cup. There you go, awesome. Good job, bring it on up here, buddy. So give it up for my young son. Yeah, good job, man. 
I never did learn how to preach without water, so I didn't do that very well. I think Danny Aiken has a book on that. And obviously, if I read it, I didn't apply it very good. Amen? So moving on. All right. Been at this for about 30 years and still need a little cup of water up here. Uh, today, all I wanted to do is to answer one question. And that question is this. It's the command that's in the passage. It's the command that drives the whole entire text from 24, 36, all the way to chapter 25, verse 30. And that is, what does it look like to keep watch? Or... Another way of putting this, what does it really look like to be ready for the second coming of Jesus? So if you're just joining us, uh, last week uh, was the first question that we dived into. Today is the second question. So at the beginning of chapter 24, and this is kind of my paraphrase, Jesus and the disciples are leaving the Jerusalem. He looks at the temple and says, hey, in a few short years, this is going to be leveled. Disciples go, ding, ding, ding. That's something kind of weird. What's going on there? And so that prompts them to ask a couple questions. The question that we looked at last week is when will this happen? This referring to the destruction of the temple. And so Jesus answers that question from 24 verse, verse four all the way to verse 34. That's where he unpacks when, when will this happen? Well, I'm gonna tell you when the temple will be destroyed and gives us all kinds of things to be ready for and that kind of stuff. So that's the first question. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to listen to that message that answers the first question. The second question that prompted uh, when he said, hey, the, the temple's gonna be level, is the kind of mindset of like, the question was more of just like, hey, when are you coming back? What's the kind of the sign? What's the date, so to speak, of when the end of the age is gonna be? And the reason why they asked both of those questions is because in a Jewish mindset, those would happen back to back. They're kind of chronological. So whenever the temple was destroyed, their mindset was the imminent return of Jesus would happen immediately. And so like it was just, you know, they were intertwined and back to back. And so Jesus is trying to help them see that yeah, they, these are two historical events. They are going to happen. And we know based on Jewish history at 70 AD, the, Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was leveled. That happened. What Jesus talked about came, to about came about. The second coming of Christ, we're st still waiting. There's, there's kind of a delay, right? And so what we're looking at in this passage of scripture is kind of the answer to that second question because we see him repeating that question in verse 36 when Jesus says this, now concerning that day. Well, what day, Jesus? Well, that day, when will be the sign of your coming, the end of the age? When will you be coming back? That's what he has in mind. Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Neither angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, and so he's bringing kind of like a, an historical event. And so Hear that? So Jesus, the one who predicted his death and resurrection, is the one that also believes in a literal flood, as in the days of Noah. And just for my sake, may not be for you. So if someone can predict their death and resurrection, I'm going to go with what he says. Amen? So uh, that's a freebie. Nothing to do with a sermon. So as the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. So what, what do you mean, Jesus? In what way... Will the coming of you, when you come back for the second time, in what way will it be like the days of Noah? Well, he explains that. Look at verse 38. That's the first word there. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. And so what we see here, he's not having a moral judgment on what they were doing in that day. This is just a description of normal activities of life. 
eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. It wasn't sinful or wrong. It's just they're just doing normal life. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of normal life, the flood comes unexpectedly. That's what, as in the days of Noah, it will come in a way just like that. All of a sudden, you will not be expecting this. It will be an absolute surprise for you. He goes on in verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a handmill. One will be taken and one left. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? Was he trying to get after it? He's just giving us kind of a, a picture of that's illustrating, illustrating kind of like just everyday life. And there's, there's nothing uh, different about their situation. They're, they're both very identical, but there's a division. One is prepared for the second coming and one is not. And so, you know, some people would look at this and kind of build a kind of a theology of the rapture, so to speak, but this is not the point of the text. But, but you got to remember, like, the context here is talking about as in the days of Noah. And so the question is, was it good to be left behind in the days of Noah, or was it bad to be left behind in the days of Noah? Well, in the days of Noah, the ones who were saved were the ones who were left behind, no pun intended, the ones who were judged were the ones who were taken away. So just, that's food for thought for later on. The point that Jesus is trying to make here with his disciples, going back to the very first question, what is the sign of your coming? What's, what's going to happen at the end of the age? And what Jesus is trying to help them see is this, that is not for you to know. You're not to go and try to figure out when's the date, when's the, when's the timeline. In fact, I might even be willing to push this a little bit. It's not our responsibility to try to make all these cultural connections, especially with what we're trying to do and all that's happened in 2020, people are trying to make. I don't think Jesus says, I don't really want you spending your time trying to make all these cultural connections so that you can know sort of when we're in the end times, when I'm coming back. No, actually, this is what I want you to be doing. Verse 42, therefore, be alert. Or the NIV translates this, keep watch. That's the command. So if the command from last week was kind of watch out, be aware of deceivers and false prophets and all that kind of stuff, the command this week is be alert, keep watch. Look, look at this. Why, why is that, Jesus? Well, he explains. Since you don't know what day your Lord is coming, but know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. Yeah, no brainer. Yes, for sure. Verse 44, this is why you are also to be ready because the son of man is coming at an hour that you do not expect it. So Jesus is trying to help them see, look, yes, these are, these are two events, the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple and the second coming of Christ. And there's a delay. There will be some time that passes between these two events. And you will also be surprised that because you don't know the date, you don't know when it's going to come, it will come unexpectedly. It will come unaware. You will be kind of taken back when he shows up the second time. As one commentator says here, Noah and his family may not have been able to predict the exact date of the flood, and are unlikely to have lain awake waiting for it, right? They went to sleep. They did their normal activities in some ways. But when it came, they were ready. While the rest of the world was caught out, 
In the same way, disciples can have no more idea than anyone else just when the second coming of Jesus will occur. But they have been forewarned that it will come. And so they, unlike others, can be prepared to survive the crisis. Coming back to my question. So what does it look like to obey what Jesus has said? Keep watch. Be ready. Are we to live life on this kind of um, constant state of red alert, right? I mean, I try to, try to make some connections in my own life a little bit, and, you know, are we to sort of live life in this high level of anxiety that some of us may have felt in March with the impending shutdown that we kind of went through last year, and we go to Walmart or Kroger, and we're gathering as much as whatever was left, and, you know, we go in the store, and there was no meat, there was no toilet paper to be found in the entire United States of America for some reason, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so as much as we wanted to kind of act like we're calm for some of us, including me, there's this high level of anxiety. Are we going to make it through this? Oh my gosh, what's going on? Is, is that kind of the emotional feeling that we need to be doing if we're going to be awake and obey the command of Jesus of being alert? And I just, I just got to be always on this high level, red alert, constantly aware of when Jesus might be coming back. I mean, I don't know about you. I just, when I think about that, if that's kind of what Jesus is driving after, I just find it impossible to to kind of be on that kind of red alert all the time. And the reason why I find it impossible is because normal life, right, invades this kind of constant red alert. Jesus could come back today. Am I ready? Right? I mean, Normal life is just, you got to get up tomorrow, most of us. I mean, maybe some of you guys can sleep in. I don't know what your world's like, but most of us have got to get up. You're either going to get up and go to school, or you're going to get up and get ready for school at home, wherever you do school. Or you got to go to work. You're going to go to work, spend 8, 10, 12 hours a day at the work. You're going to come back, and, you know, if you're in school, you might have some homework to do. If you're coming home from work, you might have to fix dinner of some sort if you do dinner. I don't know what you do. You want to fix some kind of dinner. And then after you do that, you're going to have to clean up. And then you might, you know, sit down and watch a show, read a book, surf the web, make a phone call, text somebody. I don't know what you do in that little window of time that you have. And then eventually you're going to go back to bed. You're going to go to sleep and you're going to get up and you're going to do what the next day? This is not your question. The same thing, right? It's, it's normal, So what in the world does Jesus mean to keep watch when it seems like normal life gets in the way of being alert? If Jesus is saying, we got to be up here, ready to go at all times. Well, Jesus gives us an answer in these three parables. I know each of these parables can be a sermon in and of itself, and we've actually taught through a few of these before in years past. But these three parables are within this context that is kind of giving us um, 
sort of like meat here, flesh, to, to give us like a, a vision, a picture of what does Jesus mean when he says, I want you to keep watch. I want you to be alert. I don't want you kind of like trying to figure out if these are the end times quote or when the date is. I don't want you to be drawing maps. You don't need to do all. What I need you to do is keep watch, be ready, be alert. So, all right, Jesus, then tell me what that means. Okay, then I'm gonna give you three parables. I'm gonna give you three stories so that you know what I'm talking about when I'm commanding you to keep watch, be ready. The first one is found there at the end of chapter 24 that we read starting in verse 45. And here's... The answer to one of them is do your job. So allow how to, or not me, this is Jesus' answer. Jesus, what does it mean to keep watch, to be ready? Do your job. I mean, that sounds really unspiritual, doesn't it? But that's what Jesus says. Look what he says here in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them the food at proper time? Verse 46, blessed is that servant whom the master finds, look at it, look at it, doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. You'll notice over the, these three parables, I'm not dealing with the judgment part of that. We're coming back next week and talking about the judgment aspect. I'm wanting to kind of hit on, like, what does it look like for us to keep watch? And so here it is. The first one is this, and this is directly from Jesus' words. How do I keep watch, Jesus? How do I be on alert? Do your job. Do your job. One commentator says, when the master leaves a servant in charge during his absence, he doesn't expect to find him waiting at the door when he returns, right? What does he expect to find him doing? But rather getting on with the job that is entrusted to him. And what is the master's job that's been entrusted to him? For him to give them the servants, the people that serve the household, their food at their proper time to, to serve them. Translation, do your job. How do I know I'm keeping watch or what does it look like, you know, Jesus to, you know, be alert? Well, here's what it looks like. Just do the job that God has put before you. That's it. I know it sounds really unprofound and kind of lame, doesn't it? But this is what Jesus is saying to us somehow. And I'm guilty of this. We have missed the earthiness of what it means to be watchful and ready. I mean, you know, if Jesus was here with us right now, all right? So just imagine with me. If he was with us right now, and we would just say, hey, Jesus, man, we, we've been, you know, studying the second coming, man, it's, there's some crazy stuff been going on in our world for the last year or so, and a lot of crazy YouTube prophets going on, some nutty stuff saying, like, can you help us out? Can you, you know, we want to learn better. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you mean by being ready, keeping watch? I Man, we want to be like that. We want to be ready. I and mean, we're committed, we're following you. What does it look like? Well, here's what I think Jesus would say. What do you got going on tomorrow? Well, I got to go to school. I got to test. Well, Jesus, I got I to go work. It's going to be a long day. Got a handful of meetings. Probably have to come back and maybe help some of my kids with, with homework and whatever they got going on. And then I'll go to bed. 
We'll do that. Do your job. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. If, if I did a little survey of you all when you walked in this room and I asked you this question, hey, do you believe Jesus is returning? Probably most of us in this room, most of us here would say, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely believe it. So what do you, what do you think it means to, to keep watch then? Be alert, be ready for a second coming. How many of us would say this? It means to get up and do a good day's work. How many of us would be tempted to use kind of like um, um, this language that is um, beyond normal living? I got to be sold out. I got to be on fire. Oh my gosh, I got to go do this, do that. You know, you know like it's, it's almost like we, we, have, we, have, we have unfortunately lost how Ordinary life is also the means by which I am discipled and I follow Jesus. And it's also the way that I'm alert and ready for his coming. It's almost like it, that's, that's like um, almost like this is not a part of the situation. Like I don't know what, what normal life has to do with the second coming of Christ and being ready. No, man, if I knew he was coming back tomorrow, I would be, you know, over the top using language that doesn't even describe normal life for crying out loud. And I think what Jesus is trying to say to us, this is what it means for you. The, I just find this so refreshing. The first thing that he says after saying, keep watch, he says, do your job. Be faithful with what God's given you to do. Go do your job. That's it. One commentator says it like this. Neither the two servants betrayed has advanced knowledge of the master's return. The difference is in the way he finds them behaving. Our readiness for the coming of Jesus is not in excited speculation, but in faithful stewardship. I don't know, how's that? I mean, if I was in a small group study right now, I'd just say, how's that landing on you? My, my prayer is that it's encouraging. Now, I know there's another side to this too where some of us need to kind of like, you know, kindly get a kick in the butt. Like, come on, wake up here, right? You know, but at the same time, I, I find it really refreshing and encouraging that when Jesus commands us to be ready and watchful for the second coming of Christ, he includes my normal activity tomorrow. And my normal activity tomorrow is being ready and watchful. That I don't have to go to this extraordinary, right, in order for me to be ready and watchful. I love the earthiness of him just saying, do your job. Do your job. The second one is found in the beginning of chapter 25. And it's one of those strange par parables, and even the title of it, Ten Virgins. It's just kind of like, wow, that's strange, right? Love to have family devotions around that. Dad? <laughs> right? Um, 
But in this, here's what I would say, uh, the second piece of like, what does it look like to be ready? What is the, the command of this? So not only do your job, but second one is this, do now what you cannot do later. I mean, there's a lot in this passage of scripture, and I'm summing it up with that one little phrase here. Do now what you cannot do later. Look what he says here. This parable is a little short, so we'll, we'll read through this one real quickly. Starting in verse 1, it says this, At the time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and, and went out to beat the groom. No, it sounds weird. Like, what in the world is going on there, too? Uh, verse 2, five of them were foolish and five were wise. And when the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. But the wise one took oil and their flask with their lamps. And when the groom was delayed, they became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout. Here's the groom. Come out to meet him. Unexpectedly, surprised, right? Kind of a theme we see here. Long delay, surprise. Verse 7, then all the virgins got up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. And the wise ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. And sometimes we read this and say, man, how selfish is that? Come on, man, think about somebody else. Can't you just give like a half an ounce for crying out loud? Let's kind of deviate it up and eventually all these guys will be fine. Well, Remember, you can't read into every single little detail. That's not the point of the parable, right? There's, there's a larger point that he's trying to get after here that's found in verse 10 primarily. Verse 10, when they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgin, virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open for us. And, and he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, be alert. Same wording as in verse, chapter 24, verse 42. Therefore, be alert, keep watch, because you don't know either the day or the hour. I know this, this parable can feel and sound a little weird. Culturally, everyone got this. Remember, weddings in this time weren't like they are today, where they're four hours long and everybody's done. And if it's four hours long, everybody thinks, man, that's a way too long of a wedding. Like, goodness gracious, let's get in and out. Let's go, let's go. <laughs> you know, weddings in this time were last for an entire week, massive celebration. And what he's picturing here was a common occurrence. And so, the point is, the five foolish virgins were the ones who were not prepared and thought the groom would come soon, so no extra oil. The five wise virgins were, uh, virgins were prepared, was ready for the possible delay of the groom, and got extra oil. So wisdom is seen in the planning of the possible delay of the bridegroom. Foolishness is seen in the not planning for the possible delay of the bridegroom. As one commentator says, all ten virgins fell asleep during the wait. Let that sit with you. So all 10 virgins fell asleep during the wait. So keeping watch and keeping alert doesn't mean you don't go to sleep, right? I mean, that's obvious, but just want to make sure we know that. So the point, as with the two servants that we just talked about, is not that we should be on constant alert, this high level of anxiety, but that we must have the necessary provisions when the time comes. So keeping watch means make the necessary preparations today. Verse 10 said, when they had gone to buy some oil, the groom arrived. Too late. They couldn't do that. There's no time in the future. They should have done it now. So, so keeping watch, being ready, means make the necessary preparations today. My translation, do now what you cannot do later. And so, Lao, what can you not do later that I need to do now? Repent and receive 
the good news of the gospel. That's what today is, as the writer of Hebrews says, and I've said this over and over, but today is the day of salvation. And you cannot repent later. When he comes back, it's done. So do now what you cannot do later if you are putting off this most important response of repentance and receiving the good news of the gospel, then hear me, you are making not only massively unhealthy and wrongful, but you are also making a dangerous assumption. And that dangerous assumption is this, is that I have time. I have tomorrow. I will have another opportunity As one writer says, to reckon on an assumption of delay and so to postpone readiness is to court disaster. Yes, in so many ways, this has been an extremely heavy, heavy week for our church family. As we grieve the loss of a precious saint, Cindy Ship. You keep praying for her husband, Doug, and their precious adult children, Emily Pepper and Allison Moore. I mean, tragic. Cindy said, her and Doug, right there where Nick, you and Lindsay are almost every Sunday. And when we had a little catwalk, she was over here to the left every, every single week. As part of our prayer team, she'd sneak in her little thing of oil. So you can anoint people and pray for them. If there's anything that's suffering a death of someone so close that we love so dearly is to awaken us to these wrongful assumptions that we all carry with us, that we have time, that we'll have another opportunity. And I get it, man, I, I, I get the majority of us in this room, right? You got up this morning, you rolled in here. So I get probably the majority of us in this room would call ourselves a Christian or, or Christ follower. But I don't want to make any assumptions. Paul tells us to examine our salvation. Not examine a prayer you prayed or when you were baptized, or when you went to confirmation, whatever. He doesn't say examine your past whenever you did this deal. No, examine today your salvation. Do not make any assumptions. Do now what you cannot do later. Repent and receive the good news of Jesus So what does it look like to keep watch, Jesus, be ready? Do your job. Do now what you cannot do later. And the last one is here in this last parable starting in verse 15. It's the, kind of the parable of the talents. And I've just summed it up with this. Use your gift. 
Or if you need another language that's more fitting within the parable itself, be faithful with what, with what you have been given. This parable, in case you're unfamiliar with it, there's three servants. The master comes, he gives five to one, uh, five talents to one, uh, two talents to another, and one talent to, to another individual. And so uh, the ones with the five and the two talents go off immediately and they double their, their talents, their, their money, you know. Uh, the one talent is freaking out and fearful of the master. And so he goes and hides it until and, and he comes back. And so the master, after a long delay, shows up. The five-talent guy shows up and says, hey, this is what I did with your stuff. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful a lot. You'll be faithful a whole bunch more later. Two-talent guy comes, does the same thing. Good and faithful servant, been faithful a lot. The one-talent comes to the master, and then we pick this up in verse 24, and it says this. The man who received one talent also approached him and said, Master, I know you're a harsh man and, and reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, uh, you have what is yours. And then verse 26, he said, his master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. And you should have deposited, verse 27, my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. Most commentators say it would not be difficult for them to double their money. Not at all. This was not risky business for them to, to double and do what they did with their money. And in fact, what, what the master's just saying is like, look, man, I, I gave you one talent. If you would just kind of work the money, you know, do, just go and deposit it in a bank and my money will at least gain some interest. And so, so in essence here, he's just saying, look, guys, use your gift, use your talent, Use what I've given to you. And so, so translation for us in answering the, the question of what does it look like to keep watch and, and to be ready is the, the, the foundational truth that every one of us who is a follower of Jesus Christ, and even if you're not, this is a foundational truth that's for all people. Everything you have is a gift. Everything. All that you have is a gift. You've not earned any of that, your, 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 your time of which you were born, your, your family that you were born into, the, the place in which you were born, your, your abilities, your gifting, your, your wiring, all of this is a, is a gift to you. And what, the, what God the Father is saying is like, stop worrying about what everyone else has and look at the gift that I've given you and use it. Be faithful with it. I mean, the there's many evils, this social media for crying out loud, but, but one of them is probably one of the reasons why I can't get on there. I mean, I just wish I could at times, but it's just so like pervasive of showing us what we don't have, right? And it just cultivates jealousy and envy. I mean, anytime I get on there and I see what another pastor's doing and, and what their church is doing, and I just think, you know, oh gosh, man, I'm the biggest loser ever, man, what in the world? I shouldn't even be doing this. You know what I'm saying? Like, like all of this horrible self-talk kind of happens. And so, so what it has a tendency to do for all of us is to focus on what we don't have instead of seeing what we do have because what we will be held accountable for is not what so-and-so had and you wish you had it. You'll be held accountable for what you had and how you used it. So like, because this is not really crazy hard to get our mind around what Jesus is asking of us when he says, keep watch, be ready. You have a gift. 
I've given it to you. Use it. Be faithful with what I've given to you. To wish for another's gift is to deny all the goodness of God, isn't it? To wish for another's life is to deny the wisdom of God. And what's more, we will not be asked of any of this upon the return of Christ. He will ask us what we did with what he entrusted to each of us. And so maybe you got tons of questions of like, well, what is my talent? What's my gift? What, how am I supposed to use it? What in the world? Like, I, I can't answer all these questions for you right now, but here's what I would encourage you is to sit down, spend some time to think, reflect, and pray. What do you enjoy? What brings you pleasure? And try not to think spectacular, right? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we have to go way over the top. No, just, just look at your normal life, your ordinary life. What are you doing that's, that you find joy in and, and you're good at? And then identify that and say, okay, God, show me how I can use this, not to just be something that I consume and bless myself, but how I can bless others with that. Be faithful with what he's given to you. So Jesus, what does it look like? What does it look like to be ready, to, to be watchful, to be on alert for your second coming, you know? Does it, you know, does it mean, oh, goodness, kids, we got to stay in the house. We got to be ready, right? It's like we can't go anywhere. We got to be, we got to put a big sign up in our yard. We're ready, ready for you to come back, Right? Is it this, this high level of anxiety? Red alert, you know. Jesus would say no. Do your job. Get up tomorrow morning and do your work as if you're doing it for me. Do your job. Do now what you know you cannot do later. And use your gift. Be faithful with what God has given you. I'll close with this. Jonah Sage, the lead pastor out at Sojourn New Albany, had a friend, or had a friend. He's still his friend. <laughs> they didn't like break up or whatever. Uh, has a friend who kind of takes all these, um, these parables and uses kind of this wording to kind of describe them. Uh, and it's, he called it contemplative urgency, which I... I resonate with. I thought that's, that's a great way to kind of think about it. And he explains it by saying this, when we are so longing for the return of Christ, so passionate about his nearness and his kingdom that we get to work in the ordinary rhythms of a healthy human life that obeys him. Meaning, we do our job. We do now what we cannot do later. And we use our gift. Let's pray. Let's just take a, a few minutes in stillness and silence here. Just um, be present with the Lord and what the Spirit may be saying to you right now. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, 
and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.